some thinking, and I have a question to ask you. Yeah, what's that? Where do babies come from? Well, they basically come from, um... What about the dinosaurs? Where'd they all go? Well, they... Scientists sometimes say... Is that the end of the world? Is that gonna happen soon? And what's all the talk about interracial dating and marriage? I mean, what's the big deal? Can I be a Christian, but keep on struggling with the same sin? Is it possible for me never to have Jesus living inside of me? What's all the talk about homosexuality and gay marriage? Say when I'm older. Let's say I want to do smoking and drink and watch R-rated movies. Can I still be a Christian? Um... Did that really happen? I heard Bigfoot's real. Is this true? Hey, it must have been the flood itself. Good morning. Welcome to Southridge. I'm excited that you are here. Does it feel warm in here to anybody else? Some of you are like, it's about to get warm. That's what's about to happen. I'm looking forward to this series. Man, so far I've only offended about 152 people. So let's see how this service goes. So no, 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 this is good. This is awesome. I'm enjoying this time. I don't necessarily seek out confrontation, but I don't think the church should be afraid of having a conversation. I don't think you have to be confrontational to have a conversation. And I think it's all about the attitude and the heart with which we approach these topics that are kind of touchy, hot topics. And so I'm looking forward to diving into the Word of God today and see what it has to say. And so we're glad that you are here. Uh, how many of you here, you enjoy spicy food? Like, you can handle it. You Okay, there's a good bit of you. Hey, there's a few of you here that didn't raise your hand, so you're kind of how I grew up. I grew up not eating any spicy food, but then my wife, Jane, took it upon herself as a mission to get me to appreciate spicy food. But she didn't tell me she was going to help me appreciate spicy food. So we were on our first date. Well, it was right there, kind of early on in our dating career, so to speak. And uh, we were in San Diego, and I drove down to meet her. And I've got a picture of this. Y'all ready for a blast from the past? All right, don't laugh everybody at once. But this was that trip. Yep, this is us. That's good dating right there. Look at how much space there is between us. Some of you parents are like looking at your kids like, that's how you do it right there. That's that, yes, uh-huh, leave room for the Holy Spirit. That's what we need, all right? That's what we want, okay? So uh, they used to say a Bible, but then Bibles kept getting smaller and smaller. And then now your Bible's on this, so you're like, this can fit really good, you know? So and now it's like, that, that, that's how far you can see our relationship has come, hopefully, a lot closer together. But we can take that embarrassing photo down. And uh, so on that particular day, my wife decided to take me to a place called Hot Licks. It's a place that serves really, really expensive hot sauce, okay? And so she took this place called Hot Licks in Seaport Village, San Diego. Anybody been to Seaport Village? A few of you have been to Seaport Village. Yeah, you know. All right. I know some people, are, some of you are like, I'm going to Seaport Village. <laughs> so uh, you go to this place, and there they sell these expensive bottles of a hot sauce. And uh, not only is it expensive, you have to sign waivers when you buy this hot sauce. They don't want to be liable for what may happen to your body after you ingest this toxic stuff. Some of it is called, like, here's some of the names. Chernobyl. Devil spit, 
your mother-in-law. I mean, it just has all kinds of names that just speak of like, you know, really hot places, right? And so my wife picks one, or not my wife, my girlfriend at the time, she picks one, and uh, you, they don't just like dip a chip. No, that, that would be murder. You would just, no, you couldn't handle it. So they take a toothpick, they dip it in the hot sauce you want to try, and then they hand you the toothpick. And uh, there's no milk in the place, there's no water, they don't have any of that. And so she said, on the count of three, we're going to put this in her mouth and we're going to try this. And I was like, okay, I don't do spicy food at all, but I'm trying to impress her. So I was like, hey, for the sake of the love that could be, I will take this. I Man up, just do this, right? And so I took the toothpick, and she said, on the count of three, we're going to put it in her mouth, and we're going to, we're going to lick the toothpick. So one, two, three, I stick it in my mouth. Man, I lick that sucker, and I'm like, ah, oh, you know, just waiting for it. And my head explodes. It <laughs> Literally, all of a sudden, my eyes are just watering. They're red. My nose, my sinuses, all of a sudden, my sinuses I thought were clear. No, they were clear now. Now it's just like gushing. My ears are watering. My face is red. I mean, just bright red. And all of a sudden, I'm looking around. There's a Ben and Jerry's across the way. And typically, I don't do this, but I was pushing people in front. I was like, I need a milkshake, something. And then I'm looking over at her, and I was like, Wow, she's amazing. She just took that, no problem. But then what I watched when she took out the toothpick, I noticed there was some sauce still on that toothpick. She never licked the toothpick. She just took it out and she laughed at me. And that's where I was like, this woman is either crazy or just amazing. Like, it's just awesome, right? And so obviously, you know, fast forward to the rest of the story, we still ended up together. We still have issues. I'm going through counseling, you know, that type of thing. But some of us, we can handle hot stuff. Some of us can't. This series, my goal is not to offend you. My goal is not to upset you. Some of you, you are just going to have an issue. Just just face it that you're not going to like everything. You're just not. And I'm not perfect. I'm not right on everything. But we're going to get as close and true to the word of God as we can. And that's okay if it doesn't agree with us or if I don't agree with your um, party lines or affiliation. That's, that's, it's tough. Today is not an easy day. So if you hear something and it gets too hot, it gets too uncomfortable, we'll throw that picture of Jane and I and you can laugh, okay? All right? So we'll try to ease the tension. All right? But for the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about some tough topics. Today, we are just going to kind of ease into this and a nice, light, easy topic, you know, God and government. <clears throat> What could go wrong, right? Like, no problem here, right? So, no, we're going in, we're diving deep head first, and we're going to talk about God and government. And I've entitled this message, Politics, where just when it comes to politics, there's nothing that'll stir things up and uh, just cause division faster than politics. But here's what I love about our church. In our church, we have people that voted blue, people that voted red, people that voted libertarian, people that voted green party. We've got it all. Some people didn't even vote. Some of you are like, I voted, I wasn't supposed to vote. It is all good. It's all good, all right? Because I don't want to be a church where we're just kind of like, hey, you know, we're all blue, we're all red, we're all independent. No, 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 no. I want a church that reflects the unique diversity we see in our culture. Now, we are going to look like, we are going to look at government. Our government hasn't always gotten it right. We're still in process. We're a young country. But what about the church? It seems like the church has, has, has acquiesced to culture. And the church has stepped back from these topics. And so instead of engaging, we kind of go back and think, well, uh, you know, separation of church and state. But the forefathers weren't saying that the church should totally ignore talking about politics or being involved, as we'll see. Jesus wades into politics. And so we're going we're gonna to dive into that over these next couple weeks. But some of us also, you're wondering, why are your children picking such extremes or why are they heading different directions? Because we have not in the church created a space where we can work out our doubt where we can really have a discussion and a dialogue about these things. Now, here's one thing. A lot of people love to have discussion and never decide. Let's not be that type of people. 
Elijah called them out. Joshua called them out. And Jesus called people out. Said, hey, you got to make a decision. You can't just say, I'm going to always ride the fence. There needs to be some decisions. And so we're not here. My agenda is not to make declarations this morning. It is to try and get our thinking to look at what scripture and how we interpret it and how we interpret our party lines. Because some of us, we're making decisions that Jesus is blue or Jesus is red or Jesus is this. And we're making these blanket statements about politics that's inaccurate to say the least. And it's not true to scripture. And if that's what we follow, let's be accurate to it. Let's be true to where a scripture lands on some of these issues, and it's okay. And it'll be all right, and it'll be uh, one of those fun things that we dive into. And as we create this place where there could be open doubt and discussion, all of a sudden we've created a place where it's safe to ask these questions. Some of us, we're afraid. There's a generation that, that it's, it's because of cultural norms. We have a cultural grid through which we see things, which we interpret life through. And for some of us, we were never given that space. And so there are people that they begin to doubt God, and they'll say something like this. They'll say, well, I can't fully understand or know God, therefore he doesn't exist. But it's a faulty argument because... The medical industry doesn't know everything about the human body, but are we looking at the medical industry saying, nope, can't have anything to do with that? No, we're not doing that. Science hasn't figured out everything with the cosmos. Have we rejected science? No. You see, when we say you can't know everything about God, that's not a cop-out statement. It really isn't. Because if we could know everything about God, he would cease to be God. There is going to be some mystery. It's called faith. We talked about faith in one of our life groups, that it's something that it's so difficult to kind of put our hands around and wrap our minds around, and it's just this thing, but it, it's pivotal to our Christian walk and our Christian belief. And so as we dive into this topic this morning, let's be cognizant of the fact that we have different paradigms, different, different uh, uh, viewpoints, different backgrounds. Some are from culture, some are from our education, some are from our upbringing, and we're just going to embrace it. And for some of us, we're like, well, why are we talking about this? You know, we don't want to seem out of touch with what culture is telling us is, should be true. But here's the thing. We're not going to let culture dictate the direction of our church because here's what scripture says in 1 Corinthians 1.18. It says, for the preaching of the cross is to those who don't believe foolishness. So when the church tries to say, well, we got to be ultra relevant, guess what? You miss out on the fact that Jesus himself said, guess what? It's impossible. You're the world or people that are seeking Jesus. They're not going to fully understand it. So churches that try to step into culture, I admire them. I applaud them. But it's a losing battle when we just say, well, we've got to make it relevant. So we've got to make decisions that contradict scripture. But God knows our heart and knows our motive. But here's the thing. God doesn't validate bad behavior because of a pure motive. Let me say it again. God doesn't validate bad behavior because of your pure motives. And we live in that culture today. People's like, but my heart is so good. Yes, but you shot a person. All right? And I know that's an ultra extreme example, okay? But it's the fact that everybody just thinks, well, as long as they have a good heart. Excuse me. Everybody's heart is the same, deceitful and desperately wicked. That's what the Bible says. So when it comes to these things about, hey, but but they're so sincere, you can be sincerely wrong. You can be. And so we want to we want to take first, and I know we're going to talk about this because today in the church there's a lot of debate whether the Bible is even accurate. In the church, 
There's a lot of people that say the Bible's supposed to be an authority, our final authority, it's supposed to be true, but we look at scripture and we say, well, these people lived thousands of years ago, their cultural context is different. The writers, it was 66 books, it's uh, 40-something different writers, a span over 4,000 years. There's going to be inaccuracies, they didn't understand it, so it was relevant then, but it's not relevant now, and so we discredit the Bible. So now, all authority, all truth is just subject to relativity. And so we need to get back that there is some truth, okay? So that's what this series is all about, and and uh, if that's already too hot, we could just time out, get a breath, get a bottle of water, and we can jump right back into it. Mark chapter number 12, all right? Because there's a widening gap between the church and our country. Does everybody agree? There's a widening gap between the church and our country. It used to be that when a city planner would go into a neighborhood to build a new subdivision, he would look at the city plans and he would say, okay, here's where the park's going to go, here's where the school's going to go, here's where the shopping's going to go, here's where the neighborhood's going to go, and here's where the church is going to go. When's the last time in these, all these new subdivisions do you ever see a church in the middle of a neighborhood now? Nope. You got a dog park. You got a clubhouse. You got shopping. And you can live above the stores that you like to shop at. But now, church, mm-mm. we've widened the gap. Separation of church and state. Separation of church and state. And the church has retreated instead of engaging culture and saying, no, let's have a healthy dialogue. Let's talk about these things. Let's go to God's word. Let's go to what Jesus says. And so this morning, let's not shy away from this. Let's embrace it. Let's enjoy it. Let's celebrate that there's going to be some disagreement and just be okay with that. Because in heaven, I think we're going to be surprised at the people who are there and we're going to be surprised at the people who are not there. That's going to be heaven. So today, instead of us casting judgment, because here's what would happen. If I were to grab a microphone, start walking around the room and say, hey, tell me what news station or radio station or t- television news station you listen to, all of a sudden, some of you, you'd be like, no, nope, I don't agree with them. And you didn't even talk to them. You just know what they listen to. You're like, you listen to NPR? Oh, man, are you kidding me? Stinking communist. Oh, man, MSNBC, liberal. Oh, man, Fox News, are you kidding me? Bigot. As soon as we say these things, all of a sudden, we start dividing lines, don't we? All of a sudden, and then the church is like, wait a minute, and then we start looking around. Who here is like me? Who watches what I watch? And all of a sudden, we have these discussions. But here's the thing. We're not going to be a church that says, this is our party. This is our guy. Because Jesus doesn't do that. And we're going to see that in scripture, okay? And so we're going to look at it because it's real easy to separate the church. You want to divide the church? Let's talk about politics. And all of a sudden, this church, we will split this thing more ways than you can possibly imagine. We'll have 50 little Southridges everywhere, okay? All right? Now, your small group, have at it, all right? You want to get in a good debate? Pastor West loves late-night discussions, all right? So you just call him, talk to him. He'll, he would love to talk to you sorry, about that. No, he, he won't. No, he doesn't want that, all right? He's got a life, okay? Let's dive into Mark chapter number. 12, okay? Mark chapter number 12, verse number 13. The Bible says this. This is great. And they sent unto him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. Right off from the very get-go, we see two groups of people. We see the Pharisees, who were the law. They were legalists. They were conservatives. They were ultra-Orthodox. They were true to uh, uh, what we would call Jewish nationalism. They were independent. They hated Roman rule. But then you have the Herodians. The Herodians, this is a different group of people. They're very liberal in their thinking, their practices. And they supported the Roman government. And the Roman government, Caesar, had put somebody over Jerusalem in that country. His name was Herod. And the Herodians supported Herod. That's why they're called Herodians. Now, Herod is the guy that when Jesus, after he was born, Herod sent soldiers into Bethlehem to kill all the children two years old and younger. All of a sudden, you're thinking, how could these people support him? I think some of us do that today. 
You look at, you voted for so-and-so, how could you support them? You see, same thing in the Bible. So you're going to have people that are good people that are on opposite sides, okay? So before we just draw the line and say, you're the problem with this country, you're the enemy, if we would just put you on a little island and blow it up, we wouldn't have any problems, okay? That kind of language doesn't help at all, at all. And I know sometimes we get real bored once we get, or real brave once we get a uh, keyboard, but sometimes I think our national discourse and dialogue isn't best served on Facebook isn't best, and I get it. You have the you have the right and exercise your right to express your views. That's fine, but just understand that there's a proper channels. Okay. Now here's what the Bible says in verse 14. When they had come, they said to him, "Teacher, we know that you're true and care about no one. You do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God and truth." Here's the question. All right, have you ever been asked a question you didn't want to answer? We all have, right? Jesus is about to be asked. A sticky, tricky question. Here's the question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, at the outset of the question, it just looks like an innocent question. This is about taxes. This is easy. But this wasn't just any tax, okay? This is a special tax. It was a poll tax. It was a tax that every Jewish citizen hated this tax. Here's why they hated this tax. This tax was instituted 40 years prior, and this tax was Caesar trying to fund his armies. Each citizen had to pay one denarius, okay? One denarius was the equivalent of one man's daily wage. It's not a ton of money. It's one day's wage. Once a year, you got to pay this tax. It was a sign that Caesar had rule, okay? And so this is the specific taxes. They weren't talking about taxes in general. It was a very specific tax, okay? We're not talking about should you pay tax. Some of you are like, this is what I'm talking about. Man, 40% of my income, I want that back, all right? And top 10%. I'm like at the top two, not even bottom 2%. I'm still getting taxed way too high. So this isn't about taxes. This isn't this week. You're like, fire your CPA. This is not that message, okay? Don't do that, all right? This was a specific tax, and it was uh, one day's wage, once a year you'd pay to Rome, and so this is what they're talking about, and so they're asking Jesus this question, and this question was based on the special tax, and then verse 15, shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they brought it, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar's the thing that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. End of verse 17. I love this. It's highlighted in my Bible. I want to highlight it. And they marveled at him. People that opposed him stepped back and were just marveling at his wisdom, marveling at his answer. His answer was so amazing because it took the, the, they, they had built a straw man argument that no matter what Jesus said, hey, if you side with the Herodians, guess what? Then you're going to lose your Jewish base. You're going to lose the Israelites. They're not going to follow you. But if you choose the Pharisees, guess what? The Roman government's going to come down and take you out because there is two men that both came from Galilee. His name is Judas from Galilee. Some of you have heard of Judas Iscariot. There was another man. His name was Judas of Galilee. Judas of Galilee, when they instituted this Daenerys, this poll tax, he led a revolt and he said, let's start a new kingdom. Let's overthrow the government. And his first thing that he did is he went to the temple. He cast out everybody that was Gentile. That means they weren't Jewish. And he cleaned out the money changers that were, that were exhorting a prophet. And then he cleaned out the temple. And then he self-proclaimed himself as a leader. The Roman government came and they executed him and his revolt was over. His name is Judas of Galilee. Now, think about this. Here comes another man. His name's Jesus. He's also from Galilee. 
What did Jesus also preach? About a new kingdom. What did Jesus also do in Mark chapter number 10? He had just cleaned out the temple. Jesus is also proclaiming himself as the new leader, as, as a ruler. All of a sudden, this question is not about taxes. Let's look at what this question is really about. This question that they're really asking Jesus is, are you a political revolutionary? Because Jesus, you did everything that Judas the Galilean did. Are you a revolutionary? Are you here to overthrow government? What are you here to do, Jesus? Because everything is pointing to exactly what Judas did. So this is a revolutionary question that they're asking. They're trying to get to the fact that, Jesus, who are you following, okay? Are we supposed to follow you and you're going to start a revolution? What's going on here? And so this is their question that they're really getting to. And that's what some people today are asking. Should we start a revolution? I remember right after our election. Oh, man, I was up late and I was just curious. And when you're curious, you want to hear just what's going on in culture. I don't have a Facebook account, but I share one with my wife. If you see somebody commenting, I'll usually put my name. That means it's me. Otherwise, it's not me. It's my wife. And so I decided after the election, I just want to see what people are doing. So man, after the election, I went on Facebook and man, people were hopping mad or people were super excited or some people were crying. Some people were moving to Canada. Some people were trying to look up on Google, can California annex, can we start our own little country, little Republic of California. You know, you were trying to do that, and then you heard that you couldn't do that, so you were like, what about just San Francisco? What about just the Bay Area? Can we be our own little Apple country, you know, and you know, uh, get, get our own little president, and you're looking at all this stuff, and it was hilarious to me, okay, because I just saw it, I saw all the, the everybody was had a different viewpoint, and I saw one person, he was like, let's revolt, and I was just thinking in my mind, wow, man, like, Really? Really? And then the next day, you got riots in the streets, people turning over cars. And then I said in the early service, it's so funny when you go downtown, it seems like it's always the Walgreens that get burnt down and the windows broken, right? It's always the Walgreens, right? And then the people, what do they go? They go into Walgreens and what do they come out with? Toilet paper. Like, that's what you decided to grab. Toilet paper. Was it like the last thing? Like, are you that desperate? Is that what you really needed? We could take care of your teepee issues if that's, if that's really why you wanted to riot. But we saw all this, all this stuff going on. And so Jesus steps on the scene and I love his answer because his answer is a political answer and it's also not a political answer. Jesus said, I'm God. I don't, have to, I don't have to fit in your construct. I don't have to go red or have to go blue. I don't have to go Democrat or Republican or independent or a green party. I, I, can, I can choose a new path. And some of us, we feel locked in that, man, I kind of support some of this on the social issues, but then, man, I kind of support this on limited government issues. And so, man, I kind of float back and forth. And so you feel like top, top, uh, when it comes to politics, you're like, how do we address this? But I want you to see first and foremost, the truth about tolerance. They come to Jesus in verse 14 and they say, Master, we know that you are true and you care us for no man, for you regard not the person of men. All of a sudden they're saying, oh, we know that you really don't care about people. We know you really don't care about the government. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute, hold on, that's not true. And it seems today we live in this where it's called the age of tolerance, where you're just supposed to tolerate everybody. But here's the thing that I've noticed about tolerance, and you may find it true, is that tolerance only extends to those as long as you agree with them. That's when they're tolerant. But if you don't agree with them, their tolerance kind of goes out the window. Now, here's the thing about tolerance. Tolerance is tricky. Should a Christ follower be tolerant? Absolutely, we should be tolerant. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't stop at tolerance. You want to be a good Christian? Tolerance is baseline. 
That's, 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 that's bottom wrong Christianity right there. If you're going to grow in the same passage, another person comes to Jesus and says, hey, what is the great commandment? And Jesus said this in the chapter, um, same chapter, verse 31. He said, love God and love your neighbor. So Jesus said, it's not about tolerance. It's just, let's take it a step farther. Let's not just be tolerant towards people. I don't have to just tolerate the person that votes differently than me. I don't have to just tolerate the person in office. I have to love them. And for some of you, you're like, oh, it goes against my political ideology. I want to be a part of a church, and I want to lead our church that says, you know what? Political ideology is left at the door, and we elevate biblical theology. That's where we want to be a part of. But we've gotten into a day and age where we say, no, I'm tolerant as long as the Bible and Christianity fits inside of my ideology. But the problem is we just have to go to God's word and look at it. Now, I know what you're thinking. There's times when you study the life of Jesus, you're thinking, Jesus is a socialist. He is. Look at all that free food he's handing out to everybody. What did he tell the rich person? Sell all your goods and give it to who? Give it to the poor. That's socialism. That's what Jesus was teaching. But then at the same time, We see capitalism. We see him saying to Peter, hey, let's go fishing. Why? So we can pay our taxes. There's times where you think, well, Jesus is this. Oh, Jesus is a libertarian. Oh, Jesus is a socialist. Oh, Jesus is a capitalist. But here's the thing Jesus wanted you to get to. That you know what? He was what that person needed him to be. And that's not wrong. He's, he's trying to get us to say, you know what? Let's stop dividing over these issues here. But we're talking about tolerance. So let me rein it in just a little bit when it comes to tolerance. I love it. Jack Nicholson in a movie titled A Few Good Men, he had this classic line, right? Some of you guys are like, yeah, now I'm talking about it. Get Jack Nicholson in a sermon. That sermon just bumped up in value, right? And he said this. He said, the truth, you can't handle the truth. And I think he was speaking about the, our day and age, right? We now have safe zones in college campuses where you can only say certain things. Some of us are like, man, I want to have a safe zone in my marriage, you know, where I can just have a little room. You can't say anything to me, na 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 na. You know, I mean, it's like, come on, really? Let's be adults, right? Let's, 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 let's put on big boy pants for a little bit, all right? It's okay to have a disagreement, but it seems like today we can't even handle truth. Because why? Truth has become relative. You say, what do you mean? What's true for you may not be true for me. Okay? That's relativism. That truth is always changing. It seems to me that truth nowadays is only what's trending. If it's trending, then it's got to be true. You know why? Because our nation has what's called a national conscience. Okay? The national conscience used to be that on television, you couldn't show a husband and wife in the same bed. That was our national conscience. That you would see television producers and writers would say, Ricky and Lucy in the same bed? No, we'll flip out, okay? Because we don't want kids asking questions, looking at stuff. Why? Because our national conscience was there, okay? But then you come onto the topic of maybe abortion, all of a sudden, where's the national conscience? It's split down the middle, isn't it? Now, you are seeing a shift about it come back towards, towards uh, against abortion in our country. You're seeing that shift take over. There are some things you're seeing, but then there's this thing about tolerance because we've got a national conscience, but the national conscience is changing, okay? Have you ever said this or thought this? You can't legislate morality. Anybody ever heard it or said it? And we all say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's true. Some of you, I know you've said it and you're just not raising your hand. You're like, I'm not saying this is a trick question. I'm not doing nothing. Your hand went like this. You went down hand. And uh, so when it comes to that, why? Because here's the thing. When we make that statement, I've made that statement, 
it's, it's, it's an erroneous statement. It's true to one extent you can't legislate morality, but at the same time, aren't you glad we do legislate morality? Aren't you glad it says you're not supposed to kill? That's a moral issue. Murder is a moral issue. Aren't you glad we legislate that? Stealing is a moral issue. Aren't you glad we legislate that? But here's the thing. Here's the question. It's not, should we? It's whose morality are we legislating? That's the question. Whose morality? Today in our country, we're following culture and popular trends and what's trending. That's our new barometer on what's culturally acceptable. No longer do we have a true north. America has lost a true north. As a country, you say we're built on Christian Judeo principles, but guess what? We've lost a true north because why? Truth is relative. And we even have Bible-believing Christians. You look at the Bible and you're like, it's out of touch, it's out of date. I don't even know if I agree with it. And we're going to get to that. We're going to talk about the word of God because we can't build a foundation without something on rock. And for some of us, we're on shifting shands because some people, I can talk to you, and man, your, your political expediency is all about who's around you. It's you watch out. Okay, I'm around this person. I'm, I'm going to be this type. Instead of having some convictions. So when it comes to legislating morality, even Dr. Martin Luther King, he said you can't legislate morality, but you can and should legislate it to the point where I don't get lynched. And that's also a good thing. Martin Luther King said that. So when it comes to it, we should legislate morality. There should be. And I know we think, oh, we can't. But at the same time, we forget that when it comes to laws, laws are pathogenic. You say, what do you mean pathogenic? It means they teach something. It's good that we have a law that says thou shalt not kill. Why? Because then I could teach my son that guess what? Murder is wrong. Murder is wrong. Why is it wrong? Where did it come from? Why? Now I could teach him here because we value life. Guess what? We value all life. Whether they're autistic, Down syndrome, whether they have a handicap, disability, whether they're uh, black, red, white, yellow, doesn't matter. Whether they have a different language, whether they have any, any difference about you, we value life. Where do we get that from? Genesis chapter number one, verse 27, 28. Let us therefore make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man. So man has intrinsic value. Why? Because it reflects the image of God. So all of a sudden we have a law that now can teach. So this is why we can have legislation that legislates morality. Because why? Laws teach. Now, laws don't actually change necessarily. Legislation won't change the heart, only the gospel can. So our hope is in the gospel. Our hope is not in the laws. Our hope is not in a political president. Our hope is still in the word of God. It's still in that God is going to do a work that I can't. Now, so we're not supposed to exit the political scene, but we're not supposed to put all our eggs in one basket and say, this is it. And I saw this happen in our country. I'm young and I've still seen us all. We rally behind, like, this is it. We're fighting for the soul of our nation. If this doesn't happen, man, it's all going to fall apart. Can anybody quote to me our national motto? Anybody know it? Just say it out loud if you know it. There we go. Some of us, we didn't even know that was our national motto. You, as soon as I said national motto, some of you were like, oh, man, what's our national motto? Like, man, what, what, what is it? What is it? What is it? In God we trust. But imagine tomorrow, or imagine you go into your work and you putting up a big banner at your office that says, in God we trust. How long do you think it'd be before they made you take it down? It's our national motto. It's on every piece of currency we have, but yet you try today to go put it up somewhere. What's happened? Our cultural conscience has shifted, hasn't it? Because there's a gap. 
Because why? The Christians, we've exited the political scene and we've left a vacuum and in this vacuum, we've allowed tolerance. And would you write this down? Tolerance is the last virtue a virtuous society holds on to. Tolerance is the last virtue a virtuous society holds on to. It's all about tolerance. You need to tolerate me. You need to tolerate this. Here's the thing. I want to say this quickly. We've got to move on. I could spend all our time on this topic. The truth about tolerance is this. I should accept you. Yes, I should. I should. I really should. Whether you are gay, straight, bisexual, whether you are African-American, whether you're Asian, whether you are Caucasian, whether you are Hispanic, Latino, I should accept you. But I don't have to applaud your lifestyle. And that's where America's gotten that says, I'm going to have a parade that's going to go downtown San Francisco, and I want you all to come celebrate as I totally defy everything that the Bible stands for. I don't have to. I don't have to do that. Let me take your point. And let's say I buy a brand new car, and my son Austin's like, Daddy, I love your new car, and gets a screwdriver and says, Daddy, I'm going to put your name on your car. And I'm just like, what a good boy. I'm not going to do that. No. I accept my son, but am I going to applaud that? No. You see, when it comes to tolerance, tolerance means I accept, I don't have to applaud. They're two different things. They are different, but we live in a new tolerance that says, unless you accept me and applaud me and agree with me and approve me, guess what? You're a bigot. You're a racist. And let's stop the dialogue. We don't have to go there. And so the church should step into this. And sometimes I even see the dialogue among church members and I think, wow, would that reflect the character and nature of God? Because I want you to see this. Notice this, okay? The Bible says in verse number uh, 17 that they come to Jesus and they brought, and let's just back up at verse 15. It says, why tempt ye me? Jesus has, is brilliant. He says, bring me a penny that I may see it. They're asking Jesus about, this is a revolutionary issue, right? Whose authority should be under? Everything's an authority issue. And so Jesus says, bring me a coin. This is amazing. Jesus is a king and doesn't have a coin. Wow, it's incredible, right? But Jesus is going to topple a nation and he doesn't need money. Isn't that incredible? He's that powerful. He's that great. But notice who does have a coin. The Pharisees have a coin. The Herodians have a coin. When you use a nation's currency, you are default, by default, you are admitting their authority. You're admitting their authority. You're admitting, I'm under this authority, I'm using their currency. This is their authority. They wrote it. This is the bank. So here's these Pharisees saying, I don't know if we should pay taxes. And all of a sudden, Jesus kind of caught them. Jesus is like, you even have the coin. I don't have the coin, but you guys have the coin. Jesus is catching. Isn't Jesus brilliant? Jesus is a genius. And so we see that next, I want you to see this. Jesus trips them up in their own trap. I love it. Jesus trips them up in their own trap. Jesus catches them. And Jesus is saying, hey, guys, look at this. I love what he says. He says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Here's another revolutionary statement. This statement alone, as you break it down, as you dissect it, is incredible. You say, why? Because in that day and age, when you had Caesar Augustus, who on that coin said, Caesar, the son of the god Augustus, Augustus, August, was a pagan god. He said, I'm the son of a god. I'm the high priest. I'm the ruler. All those three things would have been on that coin. Now here stands Jesus. Jesus says he's the chief high priest. He is the son of God. He is the king of kings. Here's the real king of kings, and he doesn't have a coin. It's incredible, the the parallels, okay? And so Jesus, he stands up, and Jesus traps them in their own trap, and he gets them to admit that, hey, you guys are using this coin. And Jesus shows them, hey, guys, look. In this day and age, the kingdom, the king, Caesar, was the final authority. They would say his rule is absolute, or they would say this, his rule is divine. Meaning this, there's no authority or power over him, okay? 
None, all right? There was no authority higher than Caesar's. That's what they believed. That's what they practiced, right? Here's the first mention of limited government in the New Testament. You say, what do you mean limited government? Because the Bible says render to Caesar. The word render means the word repay. It means you have a debt. Jesus was saying, hey, no, 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 you owe him a debt. You have these soldiers. They protect our borders. We pay taxes to pay for the soldiers. You don't like the soldiers, but guess what? We're protected. We live in relative harmony. We have some conveniences, so repay for that. We pay taxes to support our local government and our state and federal government. That's why we pay taxes, because we get things from it. That's why we pay our taxes, all right? Now, Jesus is saying, though, there is a higher power above Caesar. That Caesar is not the ultimate. He's not the end all. There is a higher power. So while he's saying, repay the debt you have to Caesar, he then uses the same language and he says, hey, you also have a debt to God. It's incredible. He's saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar, but then give to God what is God's. Now, on that coin, he uses the word icon. It's the Greek word icon. It has an image of Caesar. You and I also have an image stamped upon us. We're creating the image, same word, image, likeness, Genesis 1.27, image of God. What do we give to God? We give ourselves. Why? Because we're citizens of a higher country. You see, we have dual citizenship. I asked this question the early in the first service. I was like, how many of you guys have dual citizenship? And I had like two or three raise their hands. And I told them, if you've accepted Jesus, you're all dual citizens. You're a citizen of earth and a citizen of heaven. So there's one citizenship that we, that trumps the one here. So you say, well, when does it come to civil disobedience? When can I act out? When should I stand up? When it defies God's laws. But here's what Jesus is saying in the meantime. Until it defies God's laws, guess what? You can live under it. Roman rule was the most oppressive and discouraging and maniacal rule. They were barbaric in the way they conquered a nation. The fact that one of their leaders would go into a town and kill all the baby boys two years and young, uh, younger, this is, this is cruelty. The Roman government would take Christians and they would light their parks and recreational areas with Christians that they lit on fire. This was a horrible nation. Matter of fact, Jesus even said if a Roman soldier, it was the law back then, if a Roman soldier came to you and said, hey, carry my pack, which would weigh anywhere from 70 to 80 pounds, you by law had to carry it one mile. No matter what you were doing, you had to drop everything. Maybe you were going home from a day's work. Maybe you were going to work. Maybe you were working on the farm. Maybe you were with your family. It didn't matter. You had to drop everything and follow him. And what did Jesus say about that law? Jesus says, if a Roman soldier compels you to go one mile, you go with him too. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, even in an oppressive government, you can still thrive. Even if religious laws cease, you can still thrive. There's never been more global persecution to the global church than right now. But we live in such comfort. Nobody watched you come in. Nobody is going to stop working, stop shopping where you work because you went to church today. No, it's not going to happen. You don't have to worry about your car being rigged with a bomb. You don't have to worry about honor killings in your family. You don't have to worry about that. Why? Because in America, we have political safety to, to worship openly. Other countries don't have it. But guess what's happened to the church? Is the church closing down? It's thriving. It's incredible that these people, they were scared of Jesus. Jesus didn't have a house. He didn't have any wealth. It was just Jesus. He was just a peasant. The Bible says he had nowhere to lay his head. He said the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have a nest, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lie his head. But here's what's amazing. They had to get a mock trial to, 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 to convict Jesus. Then they hung him on a Roman cross, and then they took him down. They put him in a tomb. They rolled a rock, a stone in front of the tomb. They stamped it with a Roman seal, and then they put guards in front of it. Sounds to me like they were pretty afraid of Jesus. 
Why? Because they knew the power of his movement. Because he said, it doesn't, to start a revolution, I don't have to be a political revolutionary. And some of us think that, guess what? As long as this person's in office, then the church can really evangelize. The church can really move. No, we've never been like that. Christians are like cockroaches. And I know you're going to hate this quote. <laughs> no matter what you try to do to us, you can try and stop on us. You try to exterminate us. Guess what? We just keep coming back. All throughout the ages, you look at the oppression, the persecution. Christianity thrives. And God, and Jesus is saying, guess what? If you don't agree with the government, guess what? You can still be submissive to it because my work will not cease. I can keep working here because that's when it really comes down to the fact that great things can happen when we say, you know what? It's limited government, limited freedom, but God can do incredible things. You see, in the narrow sense, Jesus is not political, but in the broader sense, he is. In the very narrow, literal sense, he's not going to say, this is my party. This is how you should vote. This is what you do. And I know every November we get this, hey, here's Christian values. Here's why we vote. It's so funny. I grew up hearing, vote your conscience, vote your conscience, vote your conscience. Anybody hear that? Vote your conscience. How many of us honestly didn't vote our conscience? How many of you are like, I'm just going to vote for like the worst person because I, I just don't vote my conscience? Come on, can we just stop using that statement? It's just, a, it's just an uneducated statement. Everybody here, whether you voted for Hillary or Trump or somebody else, you voted your conscience. You did. And as the church, we need to accept that. I'll put it into context for you. There are people today that have a bad view of local government. Many conservatives are all about limited government. But if you talk to somebody in the African-American culture, they may disagree with you. Because why? It was people like Bull Durham in Alabama and Mississippi, the local officials, the local government that was lynching African-American people. It was the federal government who stepped in. It wasn't the local government. So when you talk to certain people, they have a predisposition that says, guess what? Oh, you're for little limited government? Well, limited government did horrible things to my grandma and grandpa. We're not that far removed from the civil rights, folks. Many of you remember this. Some of you were a part of this. Okay, so when we talk about these issues, we just can't make blanket statements that, guess what, I'm voting for this guy because it's all about limited local government. Well, let's just be careful about that. I'm not trying to make these political uh, declarations here. I'm just trying to, once again, engage our thinking that as Christians, guess what, it's okay that somebody could vote different party lines than you because our political ideology is trumped by our biblical theology. Because our biblical theology, we need to get back to the point where we say, you know what? I'm a Bible-loving, Jesus-following, people-serving type of church. You see, our church, that's where we fall on. That's where we say that's where it matters. And here's the great thing about our church. Our church is incredible because guess what? You can kick us out of a building. You can take away our stuff. You can kick us to the curb. But we keep on coming. That's the church. The church isn't stopped because you try to stop us. The church is bigger than a building. The church is bigger than a platform. The church is bigger than a group or a, or a denomination. The church is something so much stronger and so much bigger. Matter of fact, we thrive when things get tough. That's when we come alive. That's when the world is like, whoa, jump back. The church stands for something. The church is about something. Incredible. I want to be a part of a church like that. Because today, the church used to be all about a movement, but now we followed a culture and we're following cultural norms. 
And we're saying, what does culture want? And I, and I get in these meetings with pastors, and they'll talk about, well, we just got to kind of take a survey of what the audience wants and kind of make sure we're, we're, we're catering to them. I said, that's an entertainment. I said, that's what Neiman Marcus, J.C. Penney's, and Macy's does. That's, what, that, that's all about being focus groups and consumer-driven. We're not consumer-driven because once you're consumer-driven, then you're convenience-driven. And once you're all about convenience, guess what? You've lost your real relevance. You've lost the fact that Jesus was countercultural. that Jesus' statements was revolutionary. Jesus is the ultimate revolutionary. Jesus is the one that bucked the system entirely, that Jesus said, guess what? I don't need a kingdom to topple a kingdom. I don't need coin to take and conquer a nation. He said, I can do it with 12 men who are wholly given to God, who have sold themselves out to the work of Jesus, and that's what changes nations, not political ideologies. And we in the church have stopped thinking about Jesus as the one we follow, and we can get our eyes on Fox or CNN or MSNBC or what somebody else says on PBS, and we get our eyes off of what Jesus wants. Remember, the Bible says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, who set before him the cross and despise and shame. That's who we follow. We follow Jesus, not anything else. That's what Jesus is saying. Okay? So we've got to get back to that. We've got to get back to that. That's a new kind of treason that Jesus was saying. Because why? He said this. He said, we have a Christian conduct. It's all about our Christ-like conduct, which is countercultural. I love the language Jesus uses, and we're going to wrap up here. Jesus said, if any man's going to follow me, let him take up his, can you say it? Cross and follow me. It's interesting. Execution, especially crucifixion, was part of the state government. Why is Jesus using a term that has to deal with government? Because he's trying to alert Christ followers that we're a part of a heavenly kingdom. Not so much this earthly one. This is temporary. Nations come and go. Kings come and go. Emperors come and go. Religious or political ideologies come and go. That things that we thought would never change. But God stands true and his word stands true. And so we step back and I want us to once again get back in the political spectrum. But I think sometimes we find that it takes 90% of our conversation to talk about politics and we don't realize that our hope isn't there. You see, Jesus, he created a new way. He created a a focus that that, that this is what we're doing. And Jesus could support the corrupt and vile Roman government with taxes So what excuse does that leave us? So let me ask us a a tough question. How do we talk about those in authority over us? Is it cutting? Is it belittling? Is it disrespectful? Is there a way to have civil discord in a civil manner? I think our nation has lost how to have civil discord in a civil matter. So we need to once again step back and say, hey, how can we have a conversation that will be uncomfortable, but it is necessary? And so these are the topics we're going to dive into. Getting hot, getting warm, it's going to be great. Next week, we'll dive into a, just an easy subject. I'm going to let you off the hook just a little bit. So we're going to just, just, a, just a nice, I mean, nobody will get offended. We're just going to talk about LGBT community next week, okay? So um, just nothing tough, all right? So you don't want to miss out on next week. But let's all stand. I thank you for your patience. It went a little bit longer. And we're going to pray. We're going to ask God's blessing. And if you want to have a conversation about this, We've opened some dialogue where you can fill out a connection card. And this isn't you trying, me trying to get you to agree with this or that. It's just, hey, let's think. If I can get us to think, all of a sudden our behavior might change towards this.